The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the quarterly update podcast for the Loomis Sales Core Plus Bond Fund, where portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their strategies. My name is Erica Cassell, and I'm joined by Peter Palfrey, one of the portfolio managers on the Loomis Sales uh, products that we're discussing today. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Um, diving right in, 2022 was a tough year for all investors. Um, really, no asset class was immune, fixed income investors included. Persistent inflation continued to be a key driver of returns for equities and fixed income alike, especially through the fourth quarter, um, with the Fed maintaining a higher for longer rates messaging. To your team, what is the likely course for inflation and for the path of the Fed from here? Yeah, no question. 22 was the most difficult year, I think, for, for any investor across all asset classes. And what was really dramatic was the the change in in what the Fed had to do in response to elevated levels of inflation. Um, you know, we started 2022 with, with expectations on Fed tightening in the 100 and 125 basis points range. By end of year, as we all know, they had gone a full 425 basis points, so a dramatic ramp up in the pace and aggressiveness of the Federal Reserve. And of course, all assets had to be repriced. So not only fixed income, which are directly affected by the monetary policy stance of the Federal Reserve, but also equity valuations, other risk asset valuations. And of course, during that whole period, we had numerous bouts of people you know, questioning whether we were going to actually go into downturn in calendar year 2022. That did not happen, but yet the market struggled with that that narrative. So fast forward to where we are today, and the Fed has now, had, you know, the peak funds rate is expected to be around 5%. We think that's a pretty fair evaluation of where the Fed's going to end up. Presently, we're at 45 um, So maybe two hikes of 25 basis points um, next week, um, you know, in, in the February meeting. And then again, in the March period, we think maybe another 25 basis points. And then the Fed might be able to step back and and take a look around and see you know what damage it's has it's 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 um, generated, but also um, you know whether inflationary pressures are continuing to moderate. You know we did peak in the inflation um, outlook last year um, in Q4. Um, you know I think headline CPI you know peaked at at something north of nine percent. Now we're at you know seven percent type level. Core numbers are coming down pretty quickly. We think that by end of this year. Core numbers should be in the sub-3% range, and that's really what the Fed is targeting, not down to the 2% that they want to see on a longer-term basis, but well on its way. And importantly, that has ramifications for where where the Fed's policy should be. Um, you know, it's going to go from, from you know, you know, very accommodative last year, even through the tightening cycle, to being about tight enough this year, you know, by, say, end of Q1. But then as inflation comes down very dramatically, that's going to mean that real rates, as, as kind of, the, you know, the other side of that, are going up at a pace that's going to mean a lot of contraction in terms of, you know, kind of the traction that the economy is going to have. And, and we do think that's going to lead to, um, you know, some kind of downturn. Um, so, you know, a repricing of, of market expectations, a repricing of, of um, GDP, um, it's going to hurt the consumer, it's going to hurt corporates. So, you know, we're likely to be bouncing either side of zero in terms of GDP growth by, you know, by the summer months, we think. 
Thank you, Peter. And as you kind of hinted on, you know, although we did start to see inflation start to ease by the end of the year, uh, many believe that the Fed, with the aggressive monetary policy, will push us into a recession. What's your current outlook as far as the likelihood of a recession within the, within the United States? A high likelihood of a of some kind of downturn, but again, we think that's going to be bouncing around either side of, of kind of flattish real GDP growth. Um, there's no question that that you know, 500 base points of tightening by end of the cycle will be a very significant break on 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 credit availability and and therefore have an impact on corporate earnings, corporate growth, and of course the health of, of the consumer. Um, so we do think that that we're starting to see the effects of tighter policy already. Um, you know, the policy does work with a lag, so we think that 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 damage to the economy is likely to be um, continuing. You know, through the summer months. Um, now. You know that means that that we're going to see. You know we're we're likely to see a couple quarters, one or two quarters of of negative growth. But we don't think it's going to be an 08, 09 type of downturn. By contrast, we think that it's going to be a very modest downturn. And the important thing is that this has to be about the most anticipated downturn that we've ever seen. Um, you know, in terms of um, you know economic outlook, um, I think the numbers are 60 to 70 percent of economists believe that there will be a downturn this year. So it's the most forecasted downturn, um, and and we think that's probable. But the important thing is that we don't think it's going to. It doesn't have to be too excessive. You know, barring some kind of geopolitical flare-up. So we think that that. We're going to kind of bounce around, you know, somewhere around zero, you know, growth, real growth for for a quarter or two, um, and that's going to lead to an increase in the unemployment rate presently at very low levels, you know, decades lows of three and a half percent less plus. Maybe we see a you know a high fours type number, you know, four five to four eight unemployment, um, but we don't think it's likely to see. You know, we're not likely to see the damage that we've seen in prior uh, downturns, and excess savings and and the health of the consumer balance sheet is actually quite good. So we think that the damage that's going to occur is going to be more limited, and it should provide a better backdrop for for growth prospects second half of this year. Now, an, an important change that's occurred just over the past three four months, I'd argue is first, European growth was far less negative than people anticipated. And in fact, the um, the energy crisis ended up being uh, far, far less impactful. And so that's a, a, a very positive thing. Obviously, you know, the risk was that they were going to have a very cold winter and they were going to have rolling blackouts and, and energy shortages and, and basically really, you know, severely impact not only GDP growth, but the, you know, but the, the, the impact on on the you know, society as a whole in terms of heating and so on. So so thankfully that worst case scenario didn't occur. And at the same time, so you got better growth out of Europe. You've actually had surprisingly resilient growth out of out of some parts of Asia, including Japan, which is a big chunk of global GDP. And then importantly, um, the decision uh, by Chinese officials to basically abandon um, the zero COVID policy, um, you know, very abruptly. That opens, we think, China up to you know a period of of carnage. You know, let's face it, COVID cases are going to escalate. They already are. It's going to be very damaging nearer term. But by the summer months, as more people go outside, as people get past this initial you know first big wave of COVID cases. It's actually going to put them in a much, much better position. And so, um, you know, some of the estimates I've seen have been China growth in the five to six percent range for all of 2023. And 
you know, that's something that markets weren't looking for, you know, three, four months ago either. So we think that nearer term, some risk of downturn here in the U.S., we think that some asset prices need to get repriced to reflect that. Uh, maybe there's been too much short covering, too much optimism of how good this soft landing could be. Maybe it's gone too far. But we think that as you get past that, second half of this year looks pretty constructive, not only in rate space, but also in risk market space. Great. Thank you. Um, and of course, you know, the U.S. is only part of the equation. And I think geopolitics did reemerge as a major risk in 2022 um, and it was a major driver of a lot of the, the market malaise that we saw. Looking forward, are there any major, you know, geopolitical risks or, or anything else you're t- keeping an eye on in the global landscape? I mean, certainly ongoing, you know, travails of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, um, it's difficult, obviously, to, you know, to try to forecast how that's going to play out. Um, it does concern all people, of course, what the response from Moscow is going to be to increased Western support. You know, we're now talking about providing tanks not only from from um, the European Union, but also from the U.S. And so that reflects yet another major escalation in terms of Western aid. It's still, you know, kind of wrapped in a package of defense, not offense, or at least not deep, you know, ranging offense. Um, but but I think the intent is that that we have to stabilize, you know. Ukraine's defense against Russian force, and that might mean, you know, going into Crimea. And and if that's the case, that's, you know, that's territory that Russia's been very, you know, clear about. They consider that Russian territory, and that's going to be a major, yet another major escalation. So we don't know what the response could be. So that's a huge caveat. Um, you know, outside of that, um, we think that, um, you know, the China reopening is going to, you know, create its own headaches. Um, you know, we have ongoing geopolitics in terms of their policy in the region, um, not only um, you know near shores in Taiwan, but also you know their their reach into into other emerging markets, and and so you know we're all kind of vying for political influence in these other marketplaces, and that's done with dollars and help and infrastructure and so on. Um, you know that's going to be an ongoing um, thing. So you know certainly the geopolitics part are, are going to continue to play a, a big part. Um, you know, we'll talk about about you know the 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 whole budget debacle. You know, next the debt ceiling debacle. But um, you know, that's something that that's internal. That that will be a big deal too. Great, thank you, Peter. And so, taking a step back, you know, your team's portfolio construction process begins with taking a top-down macro view of the marketplace. And the last time we were together, uh, your team maintained that we were in the late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Have these growth concerns changed the macro environment for you at all, or or changed where you think we are in the credit cycle? If anything, we're later into the you know the late stages of of the expansion phase of the credit cycle. Um, as we have seen in, in recent history, you know, the expansion phase of the credit cycle can be as short as a year or two. It's rarely that short, or it can be as long as seven, eight years, in which it was, you know, back in, in the period just prior to, the, you know, to COVID hitting. So it can be a variable amount of time, but the important thing is, is what happens next. And we do feel that we're likely to see a downturn in the next nine to 12 months. We think it's more likely to be over the next six to nine months, you know, so on the shorter end of that range. Uh, we think that um, that 
it doesn't have to be a severe downturn, but it is going to be softer growth, and that has to get reflected in terms of corporate valuations and in terms of the unemployment rate and, therefore, the health consumer. So there will likely be a pullback in spending, a, core, a pullback in, in terms of um, the drivers of economic growth. The question is just how severe that downturn will be, and, and we think it's not. it doesn't have to be that severe. Great. Thank you. And now, looking directly at the portfolio, the Core Plus Bond Fund uh, in the fourth quarter returned just under uh, 2.5%, outperforming the benchmark, the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Index, which returned just under 2%. Uh, could you talk about what the primary drivers and detractors of performance in the, in the fourth quarter, and maybe just at a very high level for 2022 in general? Yep, certainly. Yeah, so Q4 was interesting in the sense that we didn't see as much impact on the portfolio from duration and curve positioning. Um, you know, for the whole the rest of the year, it was all about being on the correct side of where rates were going. And you know, so happily, we were very short duration at the beginning of 22. We got neutral-ish in the summer months, and then started adding duration in the latter part of the year. And you know, today, for instance, you know, we're about nine tenths of a year long duration on a nominal basis. We started 22 at a full year short, 1.1 year short, so on a nominal basis, so a very dramatic repositioning there. Um, in terms of curve exposure, we started 22 being very barbelled, getting out of the way of front-end yield rise that we expected from Fed repricing. Um, by the end of the year, we were more bulleted in the long end of the curve, so we would have greater interest rate sensitivity in the portfolio. But going to Q4, rates didn't have as much of an effect you know, for the whole year, a very large effect being short, then then neutral, then long, had had a you know positive effect in terms of performance. But but Q4 really didn't move the needle a whole lot. So it was really more about sector exposure, and in particular our exposure to some of the plus sectors, you know, outside of the Barclays Ag. So in Q4, you know, risk overall did very well. Our our um, position in in fixed rate high yield, our bank loan exposure, our CLO exposure, all were very accretive and added to performance. Our exposure to the non-dollar space was also very accretive as well. Um, we had exposure to Mexico and Uruguay, and we continue to have exposure to those two sovereigns, and those were very accretive. In fact, for the entirety of last year, that added nearly seven. 70 basis points of positive excess to the portfolio. So very, very accretive. Um, now, what was unique about those two allocations is the rest of the non-dollar market did very poorly last year. As we know, the dollar was the place to be. And these two currencies were very idiosyncratic in the sense that they were kind of a levered play on the resiliency of the U.S. economy. Mexico, of course, is, is our, you know, our second largest trading partner behind Canada. Um, so there's a direct effect in terms of commerce with the U.S., but they benefited also from very restrictive monetary policy through calendar year 22 and also very conservative fiscal policy. And so that combination actually put them in a very good position where you had positive performance on the currency as well as massive carry from from their high yield and government debt. Likewise on Uruguay, which was a you know an even better example of being 
you know, in the right place at the right time, you know, big glo- um, global commodity exporter, very conservative fiscal, and, and, you know, just outstanding performance both on currency and on in terms of the carry from high-yielding government debt. So that combination actually had a positive total return of about 7.5% for all of calendar year 22. So, very, you know, one of the few things that actually had a positive return at all last year. So, so that was very accretive to the portfolio. All right. Thank you, Peter. And given the current market environment, could you talk about how you're changing the positioning within the core sectors of the portfolio, including how you're approaching duration positioning? Yep, certainly. So we are now long duration, um, 0.9 years long. We're more bulleted. So we have overweights to the 5, 7, 10, and 20 years part of the curve. Um, as we know, the yield curve is very flat, and in fact, it's inverted with front-end yields higher than long-end yields. Um, but the idea is that we do want more interest rate sensitivity. Now, in terms of sector exposure, um, we we want to maintain this up-in-quality, up-in-liquidity stance for the next period of time because we do think that perhaps valuations in some of the risk markets have gone too far just over the past two, three months or so. And so we're very liquid. Uh, we have an ability to to you know to be able to move quickly in the marketplace, and we think that's going to be about having having price sensitivity to the rates change that's likely to continue to occur as we get through this more difficult period in in terms of U.S. and maybe global GDP growth expectations. Um, Now, in terms of sector exposures, um, we've gone from a dramatic underweight in treasuries last year to about maybe 12 percentage points market value underweight at this point, but duration contribution is is slightly ahead of that of market. So we do have more price sensitivity coming from treasuries than we did in the past. In terms of agency mortgage pass-throughs, another government sector, uh, we have about a 1.5% market value underweight to the sector, and duration contribution is modestly underweight, but that is up from where we were, say, about a quarter ago. So we've actually increased our agency MBS exposure late last year, and that has also benefited our our, um, performance with that sector coming back very dramatically in Q4 and year-to-date this year. Um, now, in terms of the other ag sectors, um, IG corporate still is about five percentage points market value underweight and a very significant duration contribution underweight. Um, not so much that we don't like corporates here, but we think that the valuations are very full. And we do feel that investors may pull back from, from their recent buying um, activity just as markets become more unsettled and as they become a little less certain about what the magnitude of the downturn is likely to be. Uh, we don't think that um, that we're likely to see a sharp deterioration in terms of corporate health, but valuations are priced pretty near to perfect, perfection. And so we, we do think that you could get some slippage there and maybe a better opportunity to buy back into that market later. Um, the last sector of the Barclays Ag is our securitized exposure, and we continue to maintain that at a very significant above-market weight. Um, it's a pretty small part of the Barclays Ag, but we have almost 6% of the portfolio allocated to high-quality front-end securitized. And we do think that paper that's more directly tied to the consumer is the place to be. We think that the consumer is going to remain resilient. The unemployment rate at very low levels is expected to go up, but not too abruptly. It's not, we don't think, going to be a very deep downturn. And so we think that the consumer will hold up pretty well. And so paper that's tied to the consumer, that's up in quality, secured, is going to be a good defensive way to continue to earn carry in the portfolio. Great. Thank you, Peter.
And now looking towards the the plus sectors of the portfolios, some of the more tactical alpha driver positions that you run, are there any sectors you're finding most attractive heading into this year or any danger danger zones that you're avoiding? Yeah, it's interesting. We've really brought the plus sector allocation down pretty sharply. Um, you know, it's been a, a great diversifier over the past bunch of years. And, and even last year with high yield under pressure, second half of the year, high yield did pretty well. And so it was it was a good way to continue to earn portfolio, you know, incremental carry in the portfolio and, and, and excess yield. Um, this year, with valuations having come back into the low 400s on the high yield market, that's versus almost 600 basis points at the peak and spreads back in the summer months of 2022. Um, you know, that's dramatic outperformance over that period. And, and we think that, you know, it looks pretty full. So so we're running high yield, fixed rate high yield at about 5%. Bank loans went from a peak of 6% last year down to under 1% presently. And our CLO exposure is really just the only other surrogate for that credit space that we have been continuing to increase our allocation to. But even there, we're going up in quality, up in price transparency and liquidity. So we think it's a good defensive way to earn some incremental yield and carry in the portfolio. But we certainly are not stretching down into lower quality um, levered loans either. So, so the high yield market, we think, looks pretty full and and we're really kind of on a you know kind of a wait and see mode for that sector. Now another important plus sector is emerging markets. Um, we continue to like higher yielding, more defensive corporate emerging markets. On the sovereign side, there are select regions that we think still offer some opportunity. There's still a price concession that investors get for going down in liquidity into emerging market, and so there could be opportunities there. But it's very regional, and it's going to be dependent on who their trading partners are, what what regional influences have on those those um, those markets. So we think that LATAM in general still looks attractive. We do think that the U.S. will be more resilient in any kind of downturn that we're likely to get. Um, and Asia is starting to look a little more attractive as well. Japan's actually surprised to the upside in terms of generating better performance um, on their in terms of their economy. They're starting to get some inflation into their economy as well, which amazingly, that's a positive thing in Japan because they've had deflation for so long. Um, on the China side also, we think that, that the reopening of their economy is going to help some emerging market countries more than others. So, so there might be some opportunities there. Then finally, on the tip side, which historically has at times been a very significant plus sector allocation for us, um, you know, we haven't really had a lot of exposure there over the past six months, um, even seven, eight months now. We did a little bit in front end tips last year for a period of time. There was an opportunity to to buy some front end break evens that were underpricing inflation, and inflation did in fact balloon through the summer and fall months. But we then exited because we were concerned that the repricing of real yields would dwarf any advantage that that investors would have in the tips market. And in fact, that happened. You know, if you look at calendar year performance, the the Treasury nominal long bond was down 33 percent. It was a horrible, horrible year. The the 10 plus year. Um, uh, maturity tips market, however, returned negative 31%. So they really didn't provide much defense last year because as the Fed tightened policy, real yields also had to reprice. They went from negative 150 to 200 basis points to positive at one point close to 1% and, and beyond. So, you know, Really, there was a dramatic repricing there. Now, going forward, we think that the tips market could be something that's more interesting. We're looking for break-evens maybe to retreat in the 10-year part of the curve from present levels, 220, 225, 
sub 200 at some point as greater inflationary, I'm sorry, greater recession concerns start to take hold, that would be an opportunity to buy back some inflation protection in the portfolio in a more more, um, um, kind of uh, better improving um, fundamental environment for bonds, you know, one where rates don't have to go high because, because the economy is slowing. So there could be an opportunity there, but I think it's a bit early still. Great. Thank you, Peter. One final question for you. Were there any lessons learned in in the rough environment of 2022 that you'll be carrying forward into uh, managing the portfolio or just investing it broadly in 2023? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think last year was made to order for a tactical strategy such as ours. You know, we're, again, we're very top-down focused first, then bottom-up. Top-down in the sense that we have to understand what's driving the market cycle. And it was all about inflation and the Fed's response last year. So we got out of the way of Fed tightening early in the year. We were short duration. We were barbelled. We were underweight many of the risk sectors. So we were defensive. We were playing defense. And, you know, it's pretty amazing to have a year that was as negative as it was in terms of risk market performance. You know, absolute performance was horrendous just because of the repricing of yields. But on top of that, investment-grade credit, high-yield credit, bank loans. I mean, bank loans aside, maybe. Other risk markets were all under intense pressure, and and we were able to get out of the way of that. And so we were one of the few core-plus managers, because we're so tactical and top-down focused, that actually generated positive excess returns in a very difficult environment. Um, Many of our competitors were down hundreds of basis points worse than the you know the Barclays Ag, which was down 13% last year. I mean, it was just not a place to be. And at, at one point, there were you know, a couple that were down 20 plus percent. So being able to play defense like that in a, in a difficult market was really important. I think a lot of passive investors, too, thought that they would you know, be okay just being in a Barclays Ag type product through the whole year. But they didn't get to take advantage of, of any of the dislocations that we saw in the marketplace. And that's really been evident over Q4 and year-to-date this year. You know, the Barclays Ag is up almost 3%. We're up 3.5% on a, on a net basis of fees. So, you know, this is this is what the tactical nature of our product's all about. And I think it's, it's important for investors to have active fixed income, active fixed income, but you know, on the equity side, you know, maybe you have some passive, maybe you have some 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 active as well. But I think on the fixed side, you know, active fixed has shown that it can add significant value and protect value. Great. Peter, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Core Plus Bond Fund and about how Peter and his team run the strategy, please feel free to reach out to your Tixis wholesaler or visit us on our website at im.nitixis.com. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for Loomis Sales Core Plus Bond Fund as of December 31st, 2022. Class Y, 3 months, 2.39. Year to date, minus 12.75. 1 year, minus 12.75. 3 years, minus 1.64. 5 years, 0.58. 10 years, 1.70. Class A at NAT, 3 months, 2.35. Year to date, minus 12.94. 1 year, minus 12.94. 3 years, minus 1.90. 5 years, 0.35. 10 years, 1.45, class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge, 3 months, minus 2.03, year to date, minus 16.66, 1 year, minus 16.66, 3 years, 3.32, 5 years, minus 0.51, 10 years, 1.70, Bloomberg US, aggregate bond index, 
3 months, 1.87, year to date, minus 13.01, 1 year, minus 13.01, 3 years, minus 2.71, 5 years, 0.02, 10 years, 1.06, 30 day SEC yield, Y, subsidized equals 4.23%, 30 day SEC yield, Y, unsubsidized equals 4.21%, performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results, total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold, current performance may be lower or higher than quoted. For most recent month-end performance, visit im.natixis.com. Performance for other share classes will be greater or less based on differences in fees and sales charges. Performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized. Returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. Top 10 holdings for the Loomis Sales Core Plus bond fund as of December 31, 2022. U.S. Treasury note 3.875% September 30, 2029. 2.99% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury bond 2.000% November 15, 2041. 2.87% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury No. 3.125% August 31, 2029, 2.86% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury No. 2.750% August 15, 2032, 2.84% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury No. 4.500% November 30, 2024, 2.03% of portfolio, Mexican Fixed Rate Bonds 8.500% May 31, 2029, 1.93% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury Bond 1.750% August 15, 2041, 1.81% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury No. 2.750% July 31, 2027, 1.57% of portfolio, U.S. Treasury Notes 3.875% December 31, 2027, 1.34% of portfolio, FNMA 5.000% September 1, 2052, 1.32% of portfolio, the portfolio is actively managed and holdings are subject to change, there is no guarantee the fund continues to invest in the securities referenced, as of December 31, 2022 the fund held only three different currencies, Gross expense ratio 0.46%, Class Y share, 0.71%, Class A share, net expense ratio 0.46%, Class Y share, 0.71%, Class A share. As of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on January 31, 2023. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios and or yields may be the same. The 30-day SEC yield is a standardized calculation. Calculate by dividing the net investment income per share for the 30-day period by the maximum offering price per share at the end of the period and annualizing the result. Unsubsidized 30-day SEC yield is calculated using the gross expenses of the fund. Gross expenses do not include any fee waivers or reimbursement. A subsidized 30-day SEC yield reflects the effect of fee waivers and expense reimbursements. The SEC yield is not based upon distributions of the fund and actual income distributions may be higher or lower than the 30-day SEC yield amounts. During periods of unusual market conditions, the fund's 30-day SEC yield amounts may be materially higher or lower than its actual income distribution. The Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is an unmanaged index that covers the U.S. dollar-denominated, investment-grade, fixed-rate, taxable bond market of SEC-registered securities. The index includes bonds from the Treasury, government-related, corporate, mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, and collateralized mortgage-backed securities sectors. Credit quality reflects the highest credit rating assigned to individual holdings of the fund among Moody's, S&P, or Fitch. Ratings are subject to change. The fund's shares are not rated by any rating agency and no credit rating for fund shares is implied. Bond credit ratings are measured on a scale that generally ranges from AAA, highest to D, lowest, 
Fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate, as interest rates rise bond prices usually fall, inflation and liquidity. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk which is, the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Inflation-protected securities move with the rate of inflation and carry the risk that in deflationary conditions, when inflation is negative, the value of the bond may decrease. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of January, 2022 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales and Company, LPR Affiliated, Attracts, 1468912291, Expiration Date, April 30, 2023, POD 25, December, 2022.